0: Welcome to the High Road to Leadership podcast, a journey to the heart of success and significance. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and I have a guest today that you are going to absolutely love. I've got John Spence in the studio with me today. John is an author, an international executive coach, professional development educator, strategic planning facilitator, keynote speaker and developer of online learning programs. John is recognized as one of the top business thought leadership development experts in the world and was named by the American Management Association as one of America's top 50 leaders to watch along with Sergey Brin and Larry Page of Google and Jeff Bezos of Amazon. John has owned or been the CEO of six companies himself. He is a guest lecturer at more than 90 colleges and universities, including MIT, Stanford, Cornell, Wharton School of Business, University of Auckland, and the list goes on. On a personal note, John has been a mentor to me, granted long-distance through his blogs and videos and training online for over 12 years. And I am so incredibly excited to get to take that knowledge. I feel like I've been taking notes. I have been taking notes. Uh, So welcome, John. And I just have to say that I grew up listening to Jim Rohn, E.J. Oh. Rohn, and, oh, yeah, great training, and he would always say, take a wise man to dinner and let him do the talking, so that's what we're doing today.
1: <laughs> you and I both grew up on Jim Rohn. Awesome. Can your pocket, creditors at your door, click, click, take a picture?
0: <laughs> I could, Honestly, I had his messages memorized because I was in sales at the time and traveling and listened and listened and listened, and... Good mentors. So, welcome. I want to talk about leadership today, and let's just go ahead and jump right in and talk about the speed of change. You've uh-huh. been, yeah, you've been talking a lot about that. Tell us what's going on, what we need to have to be equipped, and how we can be more agile.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the pace of change was fast before the pandemic. Things were moving quickly. Computer speed was doubling. AI, robotics, all those sort of things. Industries changing. Consumer, per- we took. Then we took about five years of innovation and jammed it into about three months. Uh, as one of my clients said, one day I had 168 employees. The next day I had 168 field offices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we were we were forced to do business a different way, instantaneously. So not only was the pace of change accelerated. To, a, to the extreme, but it, what it left, and here's what I see is it left a lot of people behind because we just, it, it overwhelmed us with the amount of change that we faced all of the sudden. Uh, one week we're doing things one way, one week we're doing things another way. I, I, a good example real quickly for me would be in 2019, I traveled about 217 days worldwide. In 2020, I traveled one day and it was an hour drive from my house and an hour drive home. Uh, completely topsy-turvy. So a couple of things, and what you talked to about agility, there's a couple of different quotients I look at to be an effective leader in the future. There's still all the fundam- fundamentals, and Beverly, you and I can probably talk about those. We've all seen them. Honesty, character, communication, respect, uh, collaboration, all those sort of things. But I think there's three new ones, which are not new, but three things more in focus. IQ, uh, and I don't mean the number there. It's not you're supposed to be Einstein. Uh, What I'm talking about is competence. And although some people don't say that I believe IQ is at some level plastic, it can be expanded because of neuroplasticity. Uh, But competence is unending. You can continue in lifelong learning, reading, studying, learning, always getting better improving your competence. The next one is EQ, which is is especially at this moment in time where people are incredibly stressed with a lot of anxiety and instability in their lives, having emotional connections to people, which many of us, me being included, are not comfortable with. I happen to have a very low EQ, Uh, and we can dig more into these if you want to, but what you really wanted to get to was the idea of AQ, which is your adaptability or agility quotient. And right now, that's the ability to try new ideas, try new things, throw away old ideas that don't work, even if you've been doing them for 15 or 20 years, uh, constantly learning, growing, looking around, making connections, uh, and not just embracing change, but driving change, being on the front of it and realize uh, there's no way for me to stop this. So I might as well be out front and be the one leading it instead of getting run over.
0: I often think, of, both of us live in Florida, and I think about the boating example, that when you're in a storm, you better not lose power. You've right. you got to keep the engines going so that you can direct, even though you're in the storm. And I think of that as part of that agility picture. Yeah. So on an individual level, do you have any suggestions about how people can can create that agility thinking?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, great. I'd be happy to. First of all, they have to realize they have no choice. Uh, This is when you look at the the stages of change, the first stage is an irresistible case for change. If you're not agile, you'll be left behind. I I can't remember the general's last name. It's one I can't pronounce, but he said, if you don't like change, you'll like irrelevance even less. Uh, (laughs) So we've got to focus on that. And let's take it from a business standpoint. I look at sort of strategic thinking and strategic execution as a good framework for agility. So there's five levels of strategic thinking. The first level is business acumen. And if you're going to be agile, you've got to be studying and learning. And Beverly, you've heard me say this before because I say it in every podcast or every speech I give. The average business person reads a half a book a year. If you were to read or the equivalent thereof, listen to a podcast like yours or go watch some YouTube videos or listen to an audiobook. But if you were to, to do the equivalent of reading one book every other month, six books a year, you'd be in the top 1% in the United States for self-learning. If you read one book a month, 12 books a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. Uh, so one of the things to be agile and adaptable is you have to be bringing in new information and not just in your domain expertise in other areas. So step one is I need a lot of new ideas from all over the place. Step two then, I need to compare that to my real life experience. My 10 years in this business, what I know about this industry, how much I know about my products and services. You put those two together and here's really where I think mental agility comes from is the ability to see patterns, to see trends, to see anomalies, and to do that faster than your competition, uh, or to do that faster than your peers. So you're studying and learning, you're looking at your expertise, you're watching, and then when you see a pattern of data or customer um, wants or needs changing or manufacturing or some of your industry, and you identify it faster than everybody else, you have the ability to move quicker and be more agile, which then takes you to the last part, which is one of the most challenging things in all businesses by far, which is execution of those ideas. Uh, and I believe that the pace, the cadence of execution has to increase uh, because the ideas are coming so fast and the changes are coming so fast.
0: Wow. There's a lot, that, a lot of nuggets you just put in there. I had noticed on one of your recent s- social media posts, you said, if you need help identifying patterns more quickly, let me know. And I'm, I didn't raise my hand, but I wanted to. <laughs> It's like, that's a, that's a whole deep subject right there. Well, Ab- mean,
1: there's there's a book I read years ago called the Cambridge Hand, handbook of expertise and expert performance, it's about a thousand page book written by experts about how to become an expert. And, uh, yeah, I'll save you the reading here. There's four P's. Uh, and the first one is, is passion, hard to become world-class at something you're not passionate about. That just stands to reason. The next one is patience, and many people listening have probably read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, or read a few other books that the research says. It's roughly 10 years or 10,000 hours uh, of the third P, which is a really important one, which is practice, but it's a special kind of practice called deliberate practice. And what deliberate practice is, is I have a coach, a mentor, a trainer. I'm going to classes. I'm reading and studying, but Every time I practice, I push myself harder or my coach or mentor pushes me harder. Uh, I'm not just practicing the easy stuff. I'm practicing the hardest stuff, uh, which leads to the fourth and final, final P, which is the essence of expertise is pattern recognition. Uh, this is how a great athlete sees the entire field. You know how I, I'm not a huge sports fan, but how a basketball player does a behind the back pass without ever looking back and it lands right in the other guy's hands or I just saw an interview with Gary Kasparov, the uh, grand champion chess player. He said the entire game is patterns, is I know the pattern on the board, I know the next pattern that can go from that, the next pattern from that, the next pattern from that, and he's thinking what's called downboard. He's thinking four or five or 10 or 100 moves downboard, and he's able to quickly adapt to any new pattern that comes up. The same thing happens in business or in your life. Uh, I, this way I built my entire career on, you know, know, I read about hundred, 120 business books a year and I have for gosh, 30 years. And people always say like, doesn't it get redundant? I go, yes, it does. That's the best part because I'm learning the pattern. If I read 50 or 70 books on leadership, I'm not an expert, but what I can do is I can look at what all these experts say and look for the redundancy, which is the pattern. And that becomes the thread that drives through that particular piece of, of, uh, That domain. Again, I I don't have all the ideas, but I do have the 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 um, what's the word I use? The luxury of having 50, 60, 70 of the smartest leadership experts in the world teach me everything they know and me to be able to sit back and say, what does it all mean in one concise sentence or formula or paragraph?
0: Ah, that is um, that is so rich. Pattern recognition that gives me an intention. I am going to work on pattern recognition, and I hope that the listeners all, all draw something that they say, "Aha! I am going to work on that." Because you're given so many nuggets. I have to ask you about a phrase that I heard recently, and I tried to go back and find it. And again, you you put out so a. a so much information, which is fantastic. Uh, but you had mentioned about the moment of truth oh, in leadership. Yeah. And that phrase just stayed on my mind. Tell tell me, what is that moment of truth in leadership?
1: Well, the the moment, the idea of moments of truth uh, came from a gentleman named Jan Carlson. Uh, and he was a turnaround specialist brought in to save Scandinavian airway systems. They were in very, very bad shape. And uh, he looked at the business and said, if we're going to do this, we have to, we have to build it on the best customers we can possibly get, which at that point would be uh, the frequent traveler. And what he did is he stepped back and said, what are all the touch points where we interact with that customer? from when they see a billboard on the street to when they call in or get on our computer system, boarding, ticketing, blah, 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 all the way until they get pick up their luggage on the rack. Uh, and then he said, out of that, we need to identify the moments of truth. What are the three or four things that you must do flawlessly in order to have your customer turn into a customer evangelist? And you've hit on two parts. There's this for your business. Actually, there's two parts of this for your business there are the external moments of truth that uh, your customer demands from you. And you can do hundreds of things right, but if you miss one of these moments of truth, you've lost the customer forever. Uh, You also have internal moments of truth, and this is where I would speak to leadership, is what are the things we have to do inside of our company to help each other and deliver things for each other uh, so that we can allow uh, our ability internally to deliver excellence externally to our customers. One of my favorite quotes I use all the time is, the customer's experience will never exceed the employee's experience. So, you know, and I've been reading, I, I've been reading, I always read a lot, but I've, I've recently read a couple of books by very, very famous CEOs. I just listened to, I think it's Mary Barra, who's the CEO of GM, um, Hubert Jolie, who is the CEO of Best Buy in the Turnaround, Uh, A couple of others, Alan Mulally, who's the former CEO of Boeing and Ford, and every single one of them starts, oh, and the uh, CEO of MasterCard, every single one of them starts with the same thing. People first, processes and customer, people first to deliver service, the processes and the systems to allow them to deliver that, the products and services, and then financials. If you hire great people, take great care of them, give them the systems and processes they need. They will take awesome care of the customers, which will take care of your financials. So from a leadership standpoint, you have to back up and say, there are hundreds of things I can do to support my employees, my team members, whatever it might be, but there are three or four things I absolutely must do to keep the organization running. And I'll, I'll give you an example of one. One of the, actually it sort of sits at the top and it's a little bit of a long sentence. You might, as a leader, and this is whether you lead one or two people or 100,000 you must have a vivid, compelling, and well-communicated vision and strategy for growth. Uh, Even if I have a small team, I have to have a vision for that team. Where are we going together and what's our strategy to get there? Obviously, as you move up in the organization, the vision is larger, the strategy is more, not complex, it's a little bit larger, but no matter where you're leading, and if you ever wanna lead at a higher level, you're going to have to be able to, to be someone who can create a vision, articulate it well, over communicate it and make sure that people can align with it and see how they play a part in making the, the team or the department or the organization great.
0: Wow. Okay. A lot of nuggets. I, I, we could dig into every point that you're saying. So what I'm going to do though, is keep going. Cause I want to ask you about a topic that's of pers- personal interest. You know, I mentioned to you earlier that, uh, I, diversity, equality, and inclusion is such a huge issue right now with all companies. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's working on strategies. Um, I feel like it, it, really is rooted in excellent communication, and yet people are asking the questions of what can we do to exhibit more diversity, equality, and inclusion. And for me personally, as a woman, I do know that I was optimistic 30 years ago that things were going to get a lot better. The truth is, statistically, they aren't a lot better. Do you have any advice for a minority group person who is wanting to excel and in, in business and increase their influence. Is it any different from anybody else? Talk to me for a minute about that.
1: There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I, I will give some example that I think works for anybody, uh, gender, age, and it's a Steve Martin quote, be so good. They can't ignore you. Uh, when I took over this as CEO of a multinational company when I was 26 I remember one of the my directors said boy I got socks older than you and, and I, my thing was if I just show up and I'm really 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 good now I have a huge advantage obviously I'm a white bald fat male so <laughs> I I'm the, I'm the total man you know the, the one. but one of the things is I think and you, you and I discuss this at another time, is I think for some women that want to balance family and business. Well, here's the example I had. Several years ago, I was talking at doing an annual party or annual get together at the end of the year for a Fortune 100 company. And I had all their senior executives. We were going through a presentation on leadership and a young lady in the audience raised her hand and she said, John, how do you uh, get ahead in a company like this, get promotions, move up the ladder, and be home to, to make dinner and be with your kids at soccer practice or whatever and go see school plays and you know, go on vacation and have a faith and a hobby and, a, you know, and be involved in my community? And I looked right at her and said, you don't. Nobody does. And she's the one that said, finally, somebody told me the truth. Truthfully, uh, a stay-at-home dad or a dad that wanted to be really, really involved with their kids couldn't do the same thing either. So there's a huge sacrifice to get up at an organization. Again, I was talking to a young man yesterday that said, I thought I wanted to be the CEO, and then I realized how hard that actually is. So a couple things, be so good, they can't ignore you. Another thing I'm hopeful as well. A lot of the organizations I work in, senior managers are women and leaders are women. And I see organizations making an effort to be more diverse. It's part of what's happening right now in the the gestalt of our country. Uh, But I think also that women have an advantage in one place. And I'm painting this with a really broad brush is one of the, we talked about IQ, EQ, AQ. I believe, and I'm my research and experience proves this out that EQ is actually more important than IQ. If you're competent but you can't make genuine connections with other people, you cannot effectively lead. And on the whole, women have a higher EQ than men do. Uh, it, it's they're they're raised they're raised a different way, um, not as you know. Competitive and tough and suck it up, uh, you know. And little boys don't cry. Uh, it's the the gender training brings us up in a different way. I think businesses and the generation that's coming into business right now is going to depend a lot more on support, authenticity, vulnerability, high EQ, all uh, factors that. I believe many women have to a higher degree than men do, and if you, if you don't have it, you can learn it, but it's really, really hard. I have an exceedingly low EQ, and I've been working on it for 10 years, and I'm barely getting any better, but it can be done. So being that person who's supportive and helpful and a guide and a mentor, uh, and just being so darn good at your job, and so having said all of that, it's still gonna be a problem. It's still gonna be unfair.
0: Well, I like the truth, and you, you're speaking the truth. But I, I, also like the hope of knowing what we can do. There's some things we can't influence, but we'll change the things that we can. Uh, I think there's an old serenity prayer about that. God, yeah, well, you know, in other
1: countries, they it. are mandating the government is mandating that 50% of your board must be diverse. It must be women or people of color, uh, and that's just it's just forced by law. Uh, I'm sorry that they had to create a law that forced you to bring women and more diverse people on your board and into your organization, but I think what we're going to find out is they're going to make your organization a lot better, much, much, much better with that diversity of experience and opinion, Uh, and and hopefully in in a few years, uh, people realize that I don't need a law to do this. It's just common sense that it makes my company better.
0: And statistically, that they definitely have found. It makes companies more profitable. I do think that's fascinating. You know, you wrote several years ago. You wrote awesomely simple, and I love the uh, the premise of that book is to let's see, dedicate to helping dedicated to helping people and businesses be more successful by making the very complex awesomely simple. Do you still think in the crazy world we live in that awesomely simple is a realistic way to to try to endeavor to to approach? Business? I think it's the only way.
1: I think now more than ever, now more than ever, you need to be able to see through the complexity. Um, Again, I do a lot of strategic planning and I walk in and I go, we don't need 87 reams of data and everything else. We need to be really focused on the fundamentals. Uh, There's a great book I read years ago called uh, Simply Better. It says you don't have to have 100 bells and whistles and features and everything. You just need to understand what your customer wants and do it a little bit better than all of your competition. Complexity is the, I don't want to say the enemy, of simplicity. Uh, or another way to say it is simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. That's Leonardo da Vinci quote. Um, every great designer tells you the best way to design something is take away everything that doesn't belong. In uh, companies, and it's really what keeps me up at night. One of the things that drives me to do what I do for a living is I see organizations where people make it too complex. And I just wanna walk up and say, don't make it so hard on yourself. You just do these four or five or six things exceedingly well, you can run a great company. All the other stuff is, is fluff. And I, I'm talking, you and I talked about it. I'm not talking about multi-billion dollar companies. If you're you know, Google or Ford or Boeing, there's a lot of moving parts there, it is complex. If you run a business with 100, 200 people, maybe you've got 50 million or 100 million in revenues, it should not be that complex.
0: That is beautiful. Awesomely simple. If you haven't read the book, I do, for the listeners, I recommend that they read it. I consider it a classic now. I've I've got it on the shelf and I've given it away so many times I honestly can't keep it on my shelf because I (laughs) tend to want to put it in people's hands. Um, You've mentioned several books and I, I... I am an avid reader. I'm I'm happy to report at this point now. Honestly, I haven't been real good about keeping track of it until this year. I'd hear your numbers, and I'd always think I'm I'm good, but I'm falling way short of that. So this year, I think so far I've read 32. Um,
1: That is amazing. (laughs) I love it. I feel like
0: I feel like for me that's like. Is Some people might compare gym numbers, and I'm like, no, let's not do that. Let's talk about my books. <laughs> <laughs> but what what books do you think right now are on the top of your list for people that are serious about excelling in leadership and business? What should, they, what should we be reading?
1: Okay. Um, I just read, it's, it, it, it looks like Hubert Jolly, H-U-B-E-R-T-J-O-L-Y, it's Hubert Jolly. Um, he wrote what uh called The Heart of Business. And he's the gentleman that just turned around uh, or turned around Best Buy and he's just uh, retired last year. Um, All about take care of your people, you know, be innovative, Uh, just spectacular book. uh, Follows my philosophy of business very carefully, hence the reason I like it. Um, Daring to Lead by uh, Brene Brown. Awesome, awesome book. Anything she writes is spectacular, but this one right around vulnerability and leadership. Yes. Um, I just read Adam Grant's uh, Think Again, which is good. but And that's about mental biases, why we make bad decisions or the filters we see the world through and that the filters aren't always uh, a helpful filter. And I could go on for about an hour. I'm looking around my desk in my my room. Yes. I've got about 1,000 books sitting in the office I'm sitting in right now. Actually, we have a list on my website of the top 50 business books I'm recommending right now. And it changes all the time because I, I read one and go, oh, this one has to be on the list. So um,
0: I've noticed that about you. People ask me my favorite book, and I'm like, "Well, let's let's see which one am I reading right now." Or what do
1: you want to learn about? I mean, if you want to learn about leadership, the best book right now to me, I'll get, I'll give you two, is "Leadership Ch- or no, "The Truth About Leadership" by Kuznets and Posner. Um, they wrote what I would consider the classic of uh, pretty much called uh, "The Leadership Challenge," based on a massive amount of research. Uh, But the Leadership Challenge is about 500 pages. The Truth About Leadership is about 300, and it boils down all their earlier research and adds new stuff. So if I was gonna give one, and I'll say high level, like a good to great sort of book, at the other end of the spectrum is Leadership Lessons by a UPS driver. Just a fantastic book from someone who rose from being a driver To being the president of uh, UPS, overseeing like 100,000 employees, it's just good, solid, fundamental leadership skills. That's one of the books I recommend. If someone says, "I'd like to buy a a book for everyone in my company to help them learn about leadership," that one's not uh, intimidating, and it's just you know, it's as one of my friends he he said, "I want to hire blue uh, white-collar people with blue-collar values." I want bright, sharp, smart, talented people that learn their values from their grandmother and uh, the value of a dollar and understand that hard work gets you ahead. And that's what that boils down to.
0: That I tell you what, you've got a lot of one-liners in here. love it and speaking of one-liners I have to mention uh, the I love what you're doing with the one minute uh, it's business in a minute uh YouTube videos just one minute literally you you are you keep it right on track and so that
1: oh, we're starting to, shorten it to 30 seconds oh my
0: gosh that
1: yeah it's even, I mean, at a minute, it's crisp, and it's sharp, and it's on target, and I can't give... At 30 seconds, it's nothing but, bam, here's a nugget. I got to run. I love
0: it. I love it. So I do encourage people to check out your YouTube channel. They they can check the show notes for uh, references. I You know, you just pour out the information. Is there anything you want to add? I could talk to you all day, uh, literally, but we'll honor your time. And I'll just say, did we, did we cover... Any, uh, the basics. I I know we talked about how leadership is changing. I think we addressed that with agility. Uh, but any closing remarks you'd like to leave us with?
1: I'll leave you with a quick one. Uh, years ago, I worked for a gentleman named uh, Cecil Van Tyle. He grew up on a uh, dairy farm, and his uh, he asked his parents if he could have a little bit of front a little bit of land out front to sell used farm equipment from their farm that they won't use it anymore. Got that, then he went around the neighborhood, got a few more, you know, farm equipment things, then he was buying a car dealership. When I worked for him, he owned 73 car dealerships and about 20 other companies. Uh, Was one of the richest men in America, starting from a dairy farm to that level. And he was in his 80s and I went and had lunch with him and I said, Mr. Van Tyle, what's the single most important thing you can teach me about business? You know, multi-billionaire. He didn't even hesitate, he looked right at me and said, Johnny, it's all about people, people, people. Nothing else matters but the people. I think every leader needs to understand that your, your success rests 100% on the quality of the people that you could get, grow, and keep on your team. So as a leader, you need to be a connoisseur of talent, a talent magnet, uh, and understand that your success only happens by making your people successful. And that would speak really to the heart of servant leadership.
0: Well, that says it all, and I want to leave it on that high note. Thank you for your time. I, I always say the best is yet to come. It's kind of a personal philosophy, and you help me live that every day. So thank you. Thank you for your time.
1: It's my, it's my honor. It was a joy to be with you, Beverly. Thank you.
0: Thank you.